Language Talk is a series of podcasts of interest to world language teachers seeking information about important events, initiatives, and professional development opportunities. Each month, we'll be talking with people in the know about world languages across the state. Topics include collaboration to the program review, from ACTFL news to interviews with master teachers. Language Talk is produced monthly by the Kentucky World Language Association Board and the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Kentucky. Welcome to Language Talk KWLA. This is your host, Laura Roche Youngworth, and today's topic addresses the unique opportunities for world language learning. For most students, the traditional way to learn a world language is through taking classes at their school, and this usually begins at the high school level. However, initiatives across the nation, such as the Seal of Biliteracy, and within individual states, such as the Global Competency and World Language Program Review in Kentucky, have fostered an environment supportive of world languages. But despite, despite such initiatives, the 2015 MLA report indicated a 6.7% decline in world language enrollment, and this is the first time since 1995. Our 11th Language Talk broadcast takes a look at the expanding opportunities for students to learn a world language, both within and outside of the regular school day. With me today are members of the Kentucky World Language Association who are involved in unique learning opportunities. Jennifer Kennedy, Spanish teacher at Southern Elementary in Fayette County, Lucas Gravitt, German teacher at Scott County High School, and Emmanuel Anama Green, Spanish teacher at Harlan County High School. Welcome everyone. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you each of you for taking the time to be here. Without you, we cannot have a podcast, so I appreciate it. And let's let the listeners learn a little bit about you. Maybe how many years you've been teaching, what roles might you have at your school or within world languages in general, and also what unique opportunity are you involved with for student language learning? And let's start with Jennifer. Okay, hi, I'm Jennifer Kennedy, and I'm in my fourth year teaching um, here in the United States. Um, kindergarten through fifth grade, but I also taught um, English for three years in uh, three different elementary schools Exciting. in Japan. Mm -hmm. um, and then w outside of my school, I'm also the NEL Kentucky rep. Uh, NEL stands for the National Network of Early Language Learners, and they're just a national organization that helps support and network um, early language teachers so that, you know, we're often the only person at our school, so it's nice to have that strong network right, of right, people. Right, have that support. Emmanuel, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, absolutely. Well, my name's Emmanuel, and I'm a Green. I'm um, about 33 years old right now, and I've taught for about seven years. Um, prior to teaching, I was in Ecuador for two and a half years doing volunteer work. And then uh, while in the university of my undergraduate degree, I studied abroad in Spain and Costa Rica. Um, recently, in the past few years, I've been a part of a second master's degree. I already have one, but I'm working on a second one, in which I've been obtaining a large number of graduate hours in uh, Mexico through the Southern Oregon University uh, Summer in Mexico Spanish Language Institute. And at present, I've already got like 33 hours graduate level. and. Uh, just continue to uh, always strive to seek out new opportunities as well. Uh, on the Kentucky World Language Association board, I serve as a regional representative liaison, and uh, that role involves me working with a lot of the regional representatives throughout the state of Kentucky uh, to further uh, KWLA's mission and to also help 
to reach out to those teachers in those areas as well. And I'm always wanting to seek out new opportunities. Uh, I'm active in my regional cooperative uh, for the educational cooperatives as well. Uh, at my school, I currently teach uh, Spanish too, and I have taught Spanish one in the past, but also dual credit Spanish, which is really phenomenal. And the Spanish too, sometimes uh, those kids are extremely excited and eager to go on into dual credit after they take that. Wonderful. And finally, Lucas, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, my name is Lucas Gravitt. I've taught for nine years. I've taught German at Scott County High School in Georgetown. I'm currently uh, the president-elect for the Kentucky World Language Association. Uh, two, three-ish years ago, I got the brainchild to open and create the Central Kentucky German School, which is a modeled after a traditional Zamstagschule or Saturday school program, which exists across the country in many cities, uh, to give students the opportunity to learn German outside of the classroom. Um, and this has expanded a bit, and I know we'll talk about that a little bit later, Laura. Okay, thank you, Lucas. So let's begin with opportunities within the school setting, and in particular, opportunities for the youngest learners. Jennifer, you're a FLES teacher. Can you explain what that is? Uh, so FLES is an acronym. It stands for Foreign Languages in the Elementary School. So it's usually kindergarten through fifth grade or kindergarten through sixth grade. Okay, and to have foreign languages or war languages within an elementary school, there's many, many ways to approach that with scheduling. Right. So can you share with us what happens at your elementary? So at my school, um, I'm really lucky. I get to see my kids every other day. Um, so I have 630 students, and I see second through fifth grade um, classes for 25 minutes in the morning, and then in the afternoon, I see kindergarten and first grade for 15 minutes um, every other day. Now you said something interesting. You said you're really lucky. What do you mean by that? What do other schools might have as a schedule? So a lot of my colleagues who are at other elementary schools are actually in the specials rotation. So if it's been a while since you've been in elementary school, your your specials are your usually your art, music, PE. Um, it's those things that the kids, those extra outside of that homeroom class that the kids are going to um, every day and usually you get even less time with your students when you're on a schedule like that so when I first started teaching at um, Southern I was in the specials rotation it was a six-day rotation and I saw my kids for 55 minutes every six days um, the last two years I saw them within that six-day rotation and I split with computer lab, so I saw them for 25 minutes, then they went to computer lab, or they were at computer lab and then came to Spanish. Mm -hmm. So it was a, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting how you can put it together, but usually we don't get to see them as often as you do at middle school or high school. So if a school's looking at beginning a world language program and they're trying to figure out the schedule, would you recommend them to do a schedule that has the back-to-back -back days or would you rather have a kid, which means you might have a very short class. Right. Um, or would you rather see the kid every two, three, four, whatever days and have a longer class? In your opinion, which one's better? In my experience, seeing the kids for a little bit less but more frequently is much better. So it so, leads to more Yeah, with it, like that, that first year, seeing them, I saw them 55 minutes, so that's an increase of five minutes over the 25 and 25. Mm -hmm. but what they can retain after you've you got six days, so you've got a weekend thrown in there, they they retain almost nothing. And little little the littler they are, the more input and repetition they need in order to really cement, cement that in their brain. Mm -hmm. um, I had a professor in college who said, 
younger is better, older is faster. So mm. they, it's better to start younger um, because they do, they learn the accent a lot better. It seems to stick with them longer, but there's, I think sometimes people think that they, oh, they're just sponges and they just pick it all up. While that's true, they have to have that frequency too. So I would say if the, the more frequently you can see them, the better, which is why, you know, last year I saw my kindergartners for 25 minutes, which we can do maybe a whole lot more in terms of, you know, crafts and songs and different activities, but 15 minutes is every other day we're actually I'm seeing a whole lot more progress from them than when I did with the 25 minutes really yeah very interesting and with elementary teaching what, what challenges are there well um, it comes down to how many kids we have and how much time we have so I have 630 kids when I first started it was almost 700 I have a colleague up in northern Kentucky who has over 800 kids so when you start thinking about assessments and taking data and making sure that all of your kids are reaching those proficiency levels like just the sheer amount of paperwork that goes mm -hmm. along with that is overwhelming so whenever I'm trying to plan out things and sometimes it's just even copies like do I even have enough copies that, that I'm allotted that right. I can you get what I need done when you have 600 students um, that's a big one and then just not having the time to spend with them is another big challenge so we have you everything has to be laser focused on you know I've got only these 25 minutes I've got these 700 kids what can I get done in that amount of time that's not gonna just you know overwhelm me and that's a really good point you just made because I think a luxury uh, high school teachers for sure have they see the kids every day or every other day if they're on a, a AB type schedule right. and they might not need to be so laser focused at the high school level because right. they've got a lot of time built in so that's a really good point you made um, now you kind of mentioned one advantage but what are some of the rewards or advantages for students beginning their language learning at such a young age and this is the big question why start so young um, it's so important uh, I mean it they in my kindergarten classes, I don't run up against a lot of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Resistance, I guess, that maybe you get in high schoolers where, oh no, the teacher's speaking 90% target language. My kids just think I talk funny, but they love it. You know, they don't know right. why I talk funny, but they think it's cool and we, I come in for 15 minutes and we do it. Um, so they, we're, I'm already sort of, you know, breaking I guess there's no walls to break down like right. they they are growing up with that as the expectation and that they're okay they're more comfortable with it um, like I said before um, while they don't learn as fast they definitely learn the accent I think they internalize the grammar rules uh, a little bit more because they're they're learning it at the same time that they're learning their L1 mm -hmm. so that you know they they're almost more but truly bilingual I think if, if you've got a true program yeah. that's working really well um, that can definitely be the case um, and then for me I as a teacher one of the rewards is just how excited they are like they um, they just love to come into Spanish class and I mean just about every activity that we do I mean they are, they're super excited to come right. in and do it and I see them in the hallway and they're speaking Spanish to me you know I get hugs I 
get sick several times a year because I'm <laughs> always high-fiving and hugging Jeremy little kindergartners. But, you know, right. there's just a, a love of learning still at that age. Now, one thing I know that um, schools really need to consider as a challenge when you do have this beautiful uh, elementary program in place, middle schools and high schools need to adjust what they're teaching because those kids are coming to them with this um, base of knowledge that needs to be respected yes. and built upon. And I think sometimes that's been a breakdown for um, sure in for schools sure. I talk with so it's kind of neat if we start to envision elementary students are gonna really be coming to us let's say at a novice mid-level let's mm -hmm. you know whatever that level might be a proficiency uh, imagine a high school teacher then getting to start at that point and the kids will be even higher and more successful and and it's just amazing but schools need to take advantage of that and we need to have curriculum that's well designed Definitely. and well um, aligned vertically and horizontally but finally I know this is really just for Kentucky teachers but maybe not though in Kentucky we do have a program review and um, it is still around as of right now and one of the things it strongly expects is for uh, world languages and global competency to be addressed at all levels so that includes elementary and there's a lot of schools who just as of right now don't have the money or funds to provide for a world language teacher so with that said, do you have any advice or do you have any knowledge that you can share with a school who's looking at starting or just can't pay yet, they mm -hmm. want to, maybe in a year or two, uh, what would you say to them? What can they do to get started with a world language when they don't have a teacher? Well, obviously having a teacher is the the best option, but mm -hmm. like you said, if, you, if they don't, if they're not there yet, um, I know that KET um, has a couple of uh, resources out there, Arte y Mas, Exploraciones. I know that they're, um, those are Spanish specific, but they're also looking at expanding into other languages. And then um, uh, I said I was the Nell Kentucky representative. Nell is a great resource um, for networking and resources. Um, it's N-N-E-L-L org is the website and it's the National Network of Early Language Learners. Okay, and I think the one thing I would add to this is um, when I do speak with elementary schools who don't have a world language teacher, they get really excited. They're like, well, three teachers use colors today. And I'm like, that's great, but that's not proficiency. No. <laughs> and so we need to make sure we're educating schools who don't have world language programs or who do that that usage of a world language is wonderful, but it needs to lead to a real world goal with that language. Right, right. You want to think about what can your kids do with the language. Right. You know, when you're teaching kindergartners, you're not just asking them, do you know this color? Like those kids are expected to be able to read it and use it and describe things and do things. I mean, colors are something that I do teach, but you know, right. it's not in isolation. Right, exactly. And that's key, not in isolation. Well, thank you, Jennifer. And um, I appreciate you sharing. Thank you, um, Laura. About elementary programs. So switching gears a little bit, we're going to go to the high school level, and we have Emmanuel with us. And Emmanuel, you teach dual credit Spanish class, right? That is correct, uh-huh. Okay, what is dual credit? Well, dual credit is a really phenomenal option that high school students can actually partake of. They can actually get high 
school credit and college credit, typically at Spanish 101 or 102 level, uh, while they're still in high school and still uh, be able to graduate high school with not only their high school diploma, but with a, a variety of uh, semester hours to take with them to it. Um, most of them are really um, always very happy to do that because parents are always on board, almost always. And you can see that parents are really excited too because not only do they um, have a chance at getting it, they're actually guaranteed that. Whereas with AP classes, you're not always guaranteed to get the credit in college. But with dual credit classes, you can actually always get that once you pass the course. Now, in teaching dual credit course, is yours, I'm sorry, is yours a Spanish 2 or Spanish 1 you're teaching? Uh, Spanish 2. So do you get to design the curriculum or do you have a curriculum from a university and that university saying you better cover this? No, we actually, where I'm located, we get to design our curriculum. Um, we do have like a course description that okay. the Kentucky Community and Technical Colleges actually describe, but we actually get to design it within that uh, construct. Uh, in our regular high school classes, we do have our own uh, set curriculum we have to follow, but at the dual credit level, we actually do have a little um, freeway or a little um, leeway. Leeway, exactly, okay. absolutely. And um, do you know what proficiency level you're targeting mm -hmm. for dual credit? It truly depends. Um, it depends on more or less what level that they're going to, um, you know, basically take. Are they going to take a Spanish 101, 102, 201, 202 class? And if they're doing like a Spanish 101, then typically a lot of times we'll correlate that to maybe like a novice mid, novice high, depending on how well we can do that. That, of course, is just a goal. Sometimes that fluctuates, mm -hmm. as we know. Um, and it, you just kind of add a little bit more to it. Like Spanish 102, we typically would always want from what we've seen, at the bare minimums, like a novice high, if we can get higher, go for it. If it's a little bit lower, we definitely do some, you know, add-on work to help that kid be ready to do, you know, real-world scenarios when they leave that class. And does your school offer dual un-dual credit opportunity for Spanish two? Oh, absolutely. Yes? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. That's just, um, and it is um, at our school the, with the community college we work with. The only major requirements for dual credit is to meet, meet your benchmark in the ACT reading. Otherwise, they don't re require any other major oh. entrance requirements. So. Okay. And is the dual credit accepted at any college in mm -hmm. Kentucky or just specific ones? That's a great question. Uh, our school's agreement is actually f through Southeast Community College, which is part of the Kentucky Community and Technical College system. Uh, they have agreements with all of the major universities that are state-sponsored public universities to transfer those hours in as Spanish 101 and 102 credits. Um, it, of course, would depend, I guess, on which course you were taking, if it was a like a literature class or something, or if your school had that arrangement with that university or that college, that might be different, but almost always all those courses do transfer without problems. Okay, well that's wonderful, and you know, obvious advantages are there. And you mentioned kind of, and can you explain a little bit more? So if a kid takes a course with you and passes, mm -hmm. they're getting what from the college? They're getting credit? Mm -hmm. Three hours or? Yeah, actually it's pretty phenomenal. If it's a Spanish 101 or 102 class uh, at the community college level through KCTCS, it's actually four semester hours, which is really phenomenal. Wow. Um, and that is an absolutely wonderful benefit. Uh, those transfer wherever. Um, and, you know, with the AP Spanish, I have taught AP Spanish in the past, but the thing with AP Spanish is um, a lot of times the kids are too scared to take the test or they feel that they'll never pass it 
or if they do take it, they're nervous when they're taking it, and sometimes their scores don't reflect their actual mm -hmm. proficiency level. So they, don't, they end up basically just having a high school credit at that point. Right. And, well, I'm going to go on a limb on this. The mm -hmm. AP expectation of a score is higher mm -hmm. than what <laughs> the dual credit Absolutely. classes. Absolutely, yeah, so I agree with that, too. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You might not know this. Do you know how much the kids are paying as high school students mm -hmm. to do dual credit? Oh, excellent question. At our school, we have a phenomenal agreement with our local community college. At the present time, and, you know, this is always subject to change, but our present agreement is that all they have to pay if the actual high school teacher is an employee of that school district all that the student has to pay is a small registration fee like fifty dollars really? and they get the full four hours wow. uh, now on the flip side of that you know it goes both ways if it is a, a regular school employee of that district and the college is not paying them that's what they have to pay however if it's a dual credit class for example we do have one dual credit class that is taught by a faculty member of the college and they actually come down to the high school um, and it's not a world language class, it's just a dual credit class in general communications. And that uh, particular class, the students have to pay half tuition, which would be like two or three hundred dollars. That's still a yeah, oh, good absolutely, deal. absolutely. Wow. Um, can any teacher be a dual, we're talking about world language, can mm -hmm. any world language teacher be a dual credit teacher? Well, uh, with the college I worked with, they're accredited by the Southern Association of Colleges and, and Schools, more commonly known as SACS. Um, SACS requirements require, uh, or suggest at least, that the teacher have uh, a master's degree and 18 graduate credit hours in that content. Um, so, and that's what I've, you know, okay. I've had that without a problem, and that's just like a standing order that the college requires because of those SACS accreditation requirements. Okay, and that goes along with a lot of colleges. <coughs> Their adjunct mm -hmm. requirements are very similar, so that makes sense. Um, you mentioned a little bit of this, but do you get any support from the college in the teaching? I mean, is there anyone you can go to as the teacher? Can you say, hey, do you have more resources? Can you help mm -hmm. me? Or are you just totally on your own when you're teaching the dual credit class? Um, that really depends a lot of times. I know the community college I work with, they provide like a comprehensive Blackboard training for online platforms. Uh, and there's other little resources they have too. Um, since so that we're basically more or less employees of the school system that we work for, for example, I'm an employee of the Harlow County Board of Education, um, and I have to go through the, basically the same employment process that you would go through at the college, but you don't get paid anything for it if you're not teaching outside the school day. Um, as far as resources, I get a, a wealth of resources from my local school district okay. and also some resources from the college there too, but it is focused more on the actual the student at that point. Now, if one of our listeners is interested in their high school kind of getting into dual credit, mm -hmm. where do they go to for information? How do they start this? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a, a really great question. Um, I would definitely decide, if I were you, I would suggest maybe working with the local dean's office or provost office um, at the local college or community college or university where they want to develop that program. Um, and also if you're a teacher and suppose that you know you may not really um, have the quite the number of hours yet suppose you're a world languages teacher and you want to be able to actually teach dual credit yourself 
Um, there's lots of programs out there. Um, personally, I've been working on a, like I said earlier, a second master's degree just to be able to do dual credit. And I actually have been going in the summer times for the past couple summers to Mexico through a program with Southern Oregon University. And in that program, you can get like um, 18 hours per summertime. Uh, it's kind of intense. It's actually very intense, I should say, because you'll probably be a little stressed doing it, but it does get you the opportunity to quickly, per se, get those be hours. To, yes, yeah. exactly. Um, now, one other thing I guess I should point out, Kentucky is a state that mm -hmm. recognizes or provides for the opportunity for students for dual credit. Not every state has that opportunity, so that would be one mm -hmm. thing our listener would need to mm -hmm. look into. Does your state recognize this as an opportunity? Mm -hmm. And if not, then they're going to have to Mm -hmm. work to get laws changed. <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so thank much. You, Laura. I appreciate it. Thank you. And we're going to switch gears a little bit and look at opportunities for learning a world language that might happen outside of the regular school day. And I know that um, there have been multiple opportunities, uh, the middle school students I have, who go to Arabic school. Chinese school, Japanese school, and these are happening on Saturdays, and I believe a French school has just opened up uh, in this town of Lexington. But we're going to look at some of these opportunities for learning a world language outside of the school day, and Lucas, you are the owner and director of the Central Kentucky German School. What inspired you to, because you are very busy, what inspired you to take on this in endeavor? Busy is so relative, Laura, you know that. Um, about three years ago, I realized and recognized that students across Kentucky did not have such an opportunity in the middle and elementary schools to take German. Uh, as we just heard from Jennifer, a lot more students are taking Spanish, and I know in Fayette County there are a few other languages being offered, particularly uh, at Beaumont where you teach, Laura, mm -hmm. German is also offered in addition to French and Spanish. Um, but in counties surrounding Fayette County, for example, there really isn't much of that going on. So I wanted to create some kind of program on Saturdays, which was the only day that I had available, <laughs> um, to help students across the, the central Kentucky region get to the point where they can learn German um, and we could all get together and have a lot of fun. Okay. Well, uh, give us an overview. <clears throat> what, uh, give us an overview of your school. What classes do you have? Um, how often do they happen and so on? Okay, we meet uh, approximately 25 times throughout the school year, starting in September and ending in May. Um, we don't always meet every Saturday. Sometimes there's a conference or a board meeting that I have gone ahead and scheduled that day off for the students. The morning time is devoted to youth class. Um, so we meet from 9 o'clock until 11.45 because I found that a lot of youth have somewhere else to be at 12 or 12.15, be it martial okay. arts or sports. That's smart. Yes. <laughs> and then we uh, also added starting at 1 o'clock going until 3 o'clock in the afternoon adult classes, which has looked different over the past two years. It went from being mostly all adults to now being mostly all high school students, um, but we do have those two classes offered. Um, we have a facility at New Hope Church in Lexington on Tate's Creek Road. They've been gracious to allow us to use their facilities on Saturdays, and we're very thankful to them. Okay, and who are the teachers? Because you can't do everything. I can't do everything. I, I've tried, and it doesn't always work. <laughs> um, currently, we're working with Matthias Heusler, who uh, is finishing his master's degree in German and public health at the University of Kentucky, uh, and he's also adjunct 
faculty member at Georgetown College teaching German there. So Mateus and I really work together to, to tag team the youth class, okay. and then he teaches exclusively the adult class in the afternoon. Starting this week, um, in, here in early March, we have expanded a little bit, getting more student volunteers in from the school that I uh, teach at in Georgetown so that students can have a little extra language instruction and practice getting out and speaking to people in German uh, to get them in the community. So Very smart. And um, when, when a student is enrolled, whether it's adult or um, you know, a younger one, uh, what is the focus of your curriculum? And do you have any theoretical or instructional practices you embrace? Or talk to us about that. Um, it's a very good question. and everybody's it's, a different level, aren't they? Right, okay. right. And it's, this is a, a very difficult question to answer. We do not have a set, this is our book, this is our curriculum. And some of our students' parents look at that and say, well, I w we want a set book or we want, right. we want to know exactly what's going on. And I tell them that's not going to be possible. Um, just like in a regular classroom setting, we always are dealing with students being absent or uh, doing this or that. I had one student this week who uh, is at the Regional Science Fair competing today. So oh, yeah. uh, we do have true beginners and we have students who um, actually have two students who just moved here from Austria, from Vienna, Austria. So we have virtually native speakers and we have virtual uh, beginners. So we try to incorporate all levels of, of students. We group them a lot. We do a lot of group activities where we pair them, the students with uh, similar proficiency levels so that they can have uh, a great experience while still learning the language and interacting in the language. Is there any way you can give us an idea of um, how would a Saturday look? So what are some of the activities or? Okay. Um, for example, the, the session that's going on today, our students for the first half of the morning class um, were working in partnered groups uh, around the facility and they are creating videos to demonstrate their knowledge of two-way prepositions okay. um, which could take of course accusative or dative case depending on motion or stationary um, so we had students that were more on the beginning level working together and we had students more on the advanced level working together they each had a device that they were going to record their videos with and then we take a break about in the middle of class I, we can usually get about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes in with the young ones um, we, they have snacks healthy snacks I've learned not to give them sugar. <laughs> yep. We cut sugar out completely. So, um, And then usually in the second half of the class up until 11.45 we're in large group uh, with the entire group coming together to learn perhaps a different vocabulary concept or a new uh, grammar concept. We, we try to steer clear of grammar as much as possible as Jennifer was also saying. They can learn it more naturally like, like a child would learn uh, to speak English. We don't we don't hand a child a grammar chart as soon as they're born and say, here, memorize this. So we try to not talk much about grammar, but occasionally uh, to throw it in the mix helps them with understanding. So with your mix, I'm really interested about mm. this mixed levels because I didn't think about that until you started mm. teaching. Um, do you try to kind of do a concept that is good for both for all levels, all the students there, or do you say, okay, you all are going to work on this, you all are going to work on this? No, we, we generally will do just one thing okay. for any Saturday, and we will create a variety of assignments. Um, we know that certain students will finish whatever uh, activity we've given them incredibly fast, so we know to make extra and new assignments to keep them working and keep them working on whatever concept we're working on so that then the other students who need a little bit more time to focus on it can have a little bit more one-on-one -on -one time with one of the teachers. So we, we really try to 
to uh, even when we're completely split into two separate groups, we usually are teaching the same content, but just doing it a little bit differently. So, so. in the fullest sense, you are doing differentiated instruction. It's a hundred percent differentiated instruction. Yes, ma'am. There's your. There's your little um, that's how it works yeah that's what you tell parents <laughs> yes. um, so what are your plans in the future for enrollment where do you see the school going oh I hope to see it with three or four hundred students <laughs> and my own facility <laughs> and all kinds of great things but I don't think right now that's gonna happen uh, we started last school year with three students um, halfway through the year we grew to six Good. and this school year we've been sitting between 10 and 11 we have a student that's occasionally able to come and occasionally not able to come so uh, we're currently at between 10 and 11 which is a great increase over that's last great. year so I hope to continue to see the program increasing um, we'll see where it goes right it's difficult to find teachers as you can imagine I, we're, we're yeah we're, we sometimes struggle and um, Mateus also works non-stop uh, and I'm working non-stop so it's nice if we can get a variety of teachers in helping uh, and working with our students so that no single person is stuck with the burden of uh, teaching six days a week right yeah. well um, it's very interesting what you've done and what advice would you have for someone who who's going you know what I want to do this for my language I would say do it and jump in and don't let anyone tell you no what, um, how do you start uh, the way I started was uh, very simple I, I did a filing with the Secretary of State and opened a business um, okay. I'm running it through a consulting firm that I started okay. even though I don't do much consulting anymore it's part of my consulting firm so I am working uh, that through an LLC uh, personally now of course there's always the opportunity for a school to become a nonprofit organization which has a lot of different implications uh, the ability to, to apply for grants and get funding from uh, local and national organizations okay. for their programs uh, I've chosen for me for now that's not the way to go however I think that's that would be the most ideal way to go. Get a group of parents or a group of interested people and have them serve on your board and, and go from there. So. How did you advertise for this? There's been a variety of advertisements that I've done, mostly, of course, in the Central Kentucky region. Um, one, I like to support the arts. Uh, personally and from a business perspective so I have done some advertisement with the Central Kentucky Youth Orchestra okay. and we have two or three students I believe who are part of Central Kentucky Youth Orchestra now so um, the word is getting out advertising in local newspapers um, through local schools including private schools and homeschool associations uh, and of course social media we've been blitzing uh, Facebook and Twitter world so okay. to hopefully get our, our name out there uh, and to make people realize that we exist Wonderful, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.